Podcasting straight from North Carolina is Dr. Jennifer Eichner-Lowry sharing her author journey with you. Jen Lowry writes is a place where amazing things happen for authors and readers together. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate podcast host. Jen is just the bird singing the song. She is a published author, educator, homeschool mama, life coach, and dreamer. Join her on the daily journey of discovering what this writing life is all about. Let's see what she will be led by the Holy Spirit to talk about today. Here's Jen. Thanks for supporting my Jen Lowry Writes podcast. My purpose is to inspire and encourage others to chase after their writing goals with faith and courage. By hitting the support this podcast button and with your monthly contribution of 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99, you are helping me chase after mine. Welcome to Jen Lowry Writes. Today, I am so excited, guys, because we have Chris Landis here on the show with us. Hey, Chris. Hello. Thanks for having me. So Christopher Landis is a writer from Columbus, Ohio. It is a mystery, true crime, and soccer addict, heavily influenced by Neil Gaiman, William Gibson, and Michael Chabon. Murder at Daybreak is his first novel. He lives in Columbus with his wife, Victoria, and his son, Nicodemus. Guys, go check it out, like, right now, Murder at Daybreak. All right, Chris, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for that lovely introduction. <laughs> so tell me all about, here you are, a soccer addict. Yes. You go to your website, you're checking out things about you, and it's like, okay, you're here for soccer, you're here for you called it football on Twitter. You're here for yes. football <laughs> yes. and you're writing, you're a journalist. And now you're, you've transitioned into the thriller world. Right. Um, actually I was, I kind of stumbled into being a air quote journalist. I, I try never to call myself that because I, I was just a fan of our local <laughs> soccer team, the Columbus crew here uh, in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and there was a website called Massive Report that was our local SB Nation affiliate. So basically just fans who love the team wanting to write about soccer. I was looking for something to do. And I'm like, I love writing. I love this team. I want to get involved. And so I started writing for them in 2015. And I mostly covered the fans. I covered the supporters groups, the fan culture, kind of that sort of stuff. And I kind of slowly transitioned into actually going to practice and doing more reportery things. But that was never like my intention or my goal. So it was really kind of weird and not awkward because it was amazing, but it was just not anything I ever expected. So I, I, I try not to there's some really great journalists who cover soccer, who cover who cover the sport in the U.S. I'm not one of them. I'm nowhere near them. I just I was a fan who liked to ask um, really soccer nerd questions. Our coach <laughs> at the time, our coach at the time was a guy named Greg Berhalter, brilliant soccer mind. But Columbus, Ohio, is a college football town. Ohio State University is yeah. here. It is a college football town. So most of the people covering the crew. They're just the local newscasters or whatever. They're football guys, not not soccer, football, football, football. And so this one time at practice, I asked a really in-depth, like 
soccer nerd of a question. And the one of the most famous local uh, newscasters here was there covering it. And I was a little intimidated. This was only my third or fourth week at practice. But, you know, I asked my question and the, this guy kind of laughed. And I was like, oh, that was a thesis question, huh, coach? And so I was like, ooh. But then Burhalter actually, like, pulled me aside afterwards to give me the uh, – to, to, to give me the answer and make sure I was cool because I think he likes the question. But that was never like, that was just a happy accident that I got to do all that. I always knew I wanted to just be a writer. Um, so it wasn't so much a transitioning from soccer writing to this. It was more, I actually finally finished something oh. <laughs> and put it, put it out into the world. I love it though, how you just took and combined your passions all together and found a way to, to get your voice out there, though, because, yeah. all, you know, all of that to me is stepping stones. It's building blocks to your yeah. next thing, yeah. which is now Murder at Daybreak. Yes. The thing you is, finally finished. Yeah, it had lived in my head for like, I don't even know how many years, like a decade, probably in different iterations. I thought it was going to be a movie at one point. I thought I was going to do it as a like a fictional podcast, like a Tannis or a Limetown at another point. And eventually I just started writing it. It was in between jobs or not in between jobs, in between uh, customers at and ended up being two different jobs. Um, but I just started kind of writing it. And eventually I was like, oh, I'm 15,000 words into this. We're going to actually, that's when I was like, okay, I should probably figure out where exactly I want to go here, you know, and <laughs> and go from there. But yeah, it was, um, it was great to finally finish it so I could do something else. Hooray. So now that you have this process behind you and you've had all of these years in the making, like what was a highlight moment for you other than the end? What was another one of those moments? And, um, recently when, when friends of mine who have known me for a long time started sending me pictures of them with the book, like once, um, because of all the crazy weather and COVID and shipping problems and distro problems, I actually don't have a copy for myself yet, but I'm seeing my friends and people who pre-ordered and who are trying to support me getting it. And I'm much happier with that. I got to see, I got to see a copy at my dad's house. So, so uh. I, I, I sell one, but, um, seeing, um, somebody who worked with me at that job where I was writing it, get her copy and go like, ah. And so I was just like, that, that was a really great moment. Um, wonderful. Wonderful because, highlight. Yeah. I'm like, that, uh, I did that. That's a thing. All right, cool. <laughs> and so because it was a decade in your head, that's a tough headspace to be. Yeah. Knowing that you've got these characters, all of this, you know, thriller world spinning around. Did it just itch away at you until you just couldn't handle it anymore? And you were just like, I've got to write this thing. <laughs> it's driving me crazy. <laughs> You know, it wasn't so much that. It was more, I didn't even necessarily have, like, the lead character. I had the town. I had the I had the, the, the story of the town, the story of the murders. And the reason why I couldn't write it for so long was because I didn't have that right platform to get into the story. Um, in one of the very early, early iterations of it, it was going to be a group of ghost hunters who are there to to do a overnight stay at this old mansion and crazy things start happening and oh it turns out there was this crazy murder and your you people caught something on film and now you can't leave and then they start trying to pick them off one by one and none of that made it in the final book but this idea <laughs> of this small town where this horrific event happens and 
an outsider, someone or someone's from outside of that is the one to eventually try to find those answers. That was kind of what swam in my head and the town kind of just grew in my head and in, in the telling. And it wasn't so much, oh, I have to get this out. It was, oh, that's how that's gonna work. It was, it was, oh. it was more of a moment of, and, and it really sprang from the idea of doing it as a fictionalized podcast. I was listening to a lot of true crime podcasts um, James Renner is a writer from Cleveland, Ohio. He's um, done the Amy Mahalovich case and Mara Murray. Um, he's pretty big, big in that in that uh, world. And he, I befriended him. I met him at a book conference here in Ohio, and he gave me some real encouragement. I was like, "Go for it. It sounds interesting. Try to do it." And I was like thinking, "I'm like, okay, well, what if it's like this internet journalist? Because internet true crime has like boomed in the last five years, like Vice and Stereogum and all these different types of." of websites doing these great long form pieces. And and then all of a sudden listening to like the Who Killed Amy Mahalovic and uh, Serial and you know the fictionalized ones like Tannis or Limetown or Rabbits, I was like, okay, there's my in, there's, there's the presentation. And then Logan was there. I was like, oh, I know who would write, a, it, it's essentially a thinly veiled version of me if I got to be that guy writing that stuff. So I was like, oh, okay, there's there's how he gets there, there's why he's there. And and from there I got to do it. So it wasn't so much a, I have to get this out. It was, oh, okay, that's how that's finally gonna work. Let's actually do this. <laughs> and then when it all fell into place, did and it all started to make sense, did you plot it all out at that point or did you just let it drive its own course? I started writing it and I had no, no plotting out. No, cause you know, you, you have the idea in your head for so long, you know, kind of where you're trying to get, you know, a lot of the, the big set pieces, so to speak of it. Once I got five, maybe six chapters in, I, then I sat down and I did an outline of what happens in what order and what I think each chapter is going to contain. And, and I outlined it from there. Um, I ended up throwing a ton of it out. There are two huge chunks that are like deleted scenes that maybe one day people will get to read that just for word count reasons didn't make it in. And they're out, on my outline, there's like arrows like, oh, this goes there now. It might be behind me somewhere. I should have gotten that out. Um, but but it, it wasn't until like five, six chapters in where I was like, okay, this is, this is happening. I should do this. And I kind of got stuck at like, well, does this thing happen next or does this thing? And that's when I went, all right, I guess I should see which one narratively makes the most sense. And I, and I tried to structure it like it was one of those true crime podcasts. So I was trying to keep a listener week to week. How would I want to do that? And that's kind of how I tried to structure it, but in book form. Nice. Love that concept. And I've never heard anyone that I've talked with that actually got five or six in and was like, okay, put on the brakes let's see where this could go next. It's either like people will say, you know, I started plotting from the beginning or mm -hmm. I worked it backwards and I started, you know, I knew everything at the end and plotted that all out or I just, you know, pantsed it all the way. So that's sure. a good method to talk through with other people yeah. because everybody's always saying what happens if I get stuck. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if it would work for everyone because I had the no. advantage of, I had this story for so long. I knew who, who the killer was. I knew how we were going to get there. Like I, I, 
I feel like I almost cheated because I had it plotted out without actually putting it on paper for so long. So I don't want to claim, you know, to have struck gold on a particular method that could possibly never work again. All right. Oh me. yeah. But, it probably, right. it might not, but what yeah. happens is, you know, people will try to sell this one way. This is mm -hmm. the best way. And there are so many ways to come to your novel. There's so many ways to get yeah. through to that finish line. You just have to work your way, like yeah. find your way. So it's, it's cool to hear like the different process uh, pieces that people go through. And the thing I'm finding is that your way, your process might not be the same from work A to work B, you know, like, yeah. like it, I've started and stopped and shelved and paused on like six different things since finishing Daybreak because I have all these ideas that I want to do because I finally finished the one that was hanging over me. And writing each of them is slightly different from writing Daybreak, but also from writing the other ones. So, you know, I, I think, and it's something a lot of writers, I know I struggled with it. I think something a lot of writers who are just trying to get their first work out there, a lot of people feel like they have to have their process already. They have to be able to say, this is what I did. This is how I did it. And this is what works for me. And dang it, I'm going to do it. I don't know if I can swear or not. So dang it, I'm going to go out there and do it. Um, and, and that's not true. You, The only process that you need to have as a writer at the end of the day, you put a word down, you put the next word down, you put the next word down. You know, maybe the next word is 17 chapters in the future, but it's the next word, you know, whatever you need to do. So, you know, I struggled with with that a lot when I was first starting Daybreak because I was like, well, do I start it with when he hears about the case or do I start it with when he gets into town or do it, you know, and eventually it was just pick a spot and go. And I ended up changing it before I submitted it, but I picked a spot and I went and that's what you got to do. <laughs> And you just got to jump on in there mm -hmm. and then one word at a time. I love that advice. That's some excellent advice, guys. We need to listen to Chris because he's at that finish line. It's published. It came out this month. So here you are celebrating your debut novel and now talking about six different ideas. I love that. <laughs> like, I absolutely love that because that's also something that I feel like writers may struggle with. Well, if I write one, am I one and done? Right. You know, and it could be for some people. Yeah, but absolutely. then there are other people that, you know, we're always bouncing off ideas. We're right. always thinking of that next story. So how and have you been juggling all of that coming at you now with all these ideas? Well, you know, I write when I can. I write when I get half an hour. I have an 11 month old son and I'm a stay at home dad. So um, I'm dad first, writer second right now. Um, so really when the boy naps or when he's just kind of playing and, and he he's good, then I try to just whatever, whatever is on the tip of my tongue or tip of my finger, so to speak, I open that one up and we go. You know, if the night before I was thinking, I'm like, oh, that's what happens next in this one. I, I open that up and I go. Um, and it is not a very structured, um, very structured process right now. But I feel like once I find the groove on something, I'm usually pretty good. So it's just a matter of finding the, the time to to hit that groove. And, you know, uh, 
the the fan the the, fan, the highly successful writers, the writers who make their living doing this. They they're always like, you get your words every day. You you find the time, you make the time. Stephen King says, go in your office, lock the door. You know, Michael Shabin says he gets his two thousand words in a day, six days a week, regardless. And that's the goal, obviously, but that's not my priority at this moment because I got an 11 month old. I kind of, you know, I, I, I can pluck out 200 words here, 200 words there and, uh, you know, take care of him. And I'm not I'm not in any rush. Uh, my, my life's not revolving around getting the next book published. <laughs> Right but now. you do understand the importance of that habit, that building yeah. that consistent writing routine in your life. Oh yeah, because once once I can trust him not to throw himself down the stairs, you know that's that's gonna it's gonna be what happens. But you know um, we're we're not there yet. But yeah, yeah um, I think that's one of the reasons why I was able to finish Daybreak is because I was working on it. I was in a call center um, and I was able to work on it between calls. Um, I didn't have anything else I could be doing in between those calls. You know, I I had. I could talk to the person next to me or just sit there and twiddle my thumbs, you know, right. cause yeah, I worked for a financial company. You, you couldn't get on the internet. It was too much of security risk. So I had hours a day where I wasn't doing anything. So I had that time to write. So, you know, I definitely, it, if you have that luxury of being able to dedicate X number of hours or a chunk of time to just writing, that's how you're gonna. That's how you're gonna get there. That's how I got here. Is because I was able to do that. It's just not right now. Like a, a possibility. That easy for me. To do. But you will get there. You just may yeah. be at a different time frame. Yeah. But you're putting the words down. You're getting yeah. that. You know, progress going. And any word is better than none. Exactly. Yep. And then when you when you know people talk about how do you balance you know family and relationships and and life and free time. And I'm like, sometimes I'll laugh and I'll say, what free time? I'm yeah, either reading right. or I'm writing and that, right. that's my joy though. That's yeah. the times that, that I find great joy. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, that daily putting it in somewhere, sometime, yeah. even like you said, 200 words, even if it's, you know, set a timer, 20 minutes, that's mm -hmm. all you can give. Or your voice talking it on your ride home, like whatever it is that you can do, do that thing, and then you won't regret that time. Like yeah. you'll keep moving forward. Yeah. And so, oh, go ahead. It, it, you're you're exactly right. Whatever whatever you have, it's so important to make the most of that because most writers that I've met are a lot like me in the sense that if you don't, if you decide to go play a video game or something else you're going to beat yourself up over it so much, you know? So, so I a hundred percent agree. And some people that I'll talk with, they'll say, well, I get lost in social media. I'll sit working on something and then I'll just direct myself and I'll just get lost in this big hole. And it's this black hole sucking me in. Yep. And I could have been writing. Yeah. I could, and then the guilt comes and I'm like, yeah. well, let's start talking about goal setting. How can yeah. you take that time and crunch yeah. it and make the most of it and then give yourself rewards. And speaking yeah. of rewards, what was your reward for murder at daybreak? Did you do any type of celebrations or. Um, oh, I left it downstairs. Um, when it came out, when it actually got published, um, I, I went on a nostalgia kick a couple years ago 
you, you can probably see behind me, I have some like old wrestling action figures, some old, old pro wrestling action figures. Because when I grew up, it was all about Hulk Hogan and the WWF and WCW and all that kind of stuff. So um, when when uh, when the book came out, I decided to treat myself. There's a great toy store here in Columbus called Big Fun that has a bunch of retro toys of all types. But I was looking through their wrestling section and they actually had, oh my God, pardon me. They actually had, um, still in the box like on its card a a two pack of wrestlers that i i had the actual toys when i was a kid so i was like all right this is ridiculous to spend a hundred and i think it was 130 dollars on this but uh i'm gonna do it because you know i'm celebrating i'm only ever gonna get to publish my first book once so can you so please tell that. me please tell so, me who the wrestlers were I no, it was the know. rockers it was Shawn michaels and marty Janetti. Oh my gosh. Okay. So India's with attitude, my best friend's husband. I grew up with them in my hometown. Um, he was a wrestler. And so, and I was growing up loving wrestling. My dad had his ringside seats. Oh yeah. Yes. And we did not miss it. Every time it came to North Carolina to uh, a place in Fayetteville, they would come. And You're in Rocket Flair country then. You're yes. in Fort Worth country. Yes. Oh, so when I met Ric Flair, I started crying. And I will just admit this right now on the show. I cried when I met Ric Flair. I was so excited to give that man a hug. And knowing at my 13-year-old self, I would have probably said some words that I would have... <laughs> <laughs> because I couldn't stand the four horsemen. I was a rock oh, yeah. and roll express person. And oh, I yeah. was yeah. warriors. That was my time. I'm a lot older than you. That was my time. So when I would get, I would see the four horsemen all the time. Arn Anderson. You saw them in the time. That's like the that's like the ideal age for, for people oh. like me. I, I grew oh. up watching like it was like the early 90s when i started watching so you 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 heard about the rock and roll express and stuff and so now you can go back and watch all that I'm like oh yeah that would have been the stuff yes and my uh my best friend's son he's now into wrestling and he just went to the rock and roll express camp so he's actually at their <laughs> studio like he's learning he's uh he's in a circuit now so so yeah we're big wrestling like Loved it. Now over UFC people in my house because my son, yeah. my 18-year-old son is in jujitsu. So oh, nice. that's going to come for Nicodemus one day. You're going to be yes. introducing him to, to wrestling. Next thing you know, y'all could be wrestling UFC. We watch okay. AEW every week. AEW's so. on Wednesday nights every week. He sits there with me and he watches and he goes, <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. raise him up, raise him yeah. up. Yeah. So when I met Ric Flair, I cried and it was hilarious. I didn't know I was going to get emotional. He was at a Comic-Con. Yeah. Like I never knew going to this Comic-Con, I was going to get that emotional seeing him, but it brought back so many yeah. wonderful memories of me and my yeah. dad. Cause he would take me, like he wouldn't take my brothers. Like he would take me to these wrestling matches. And we would, that was our thing. Yeah, and so cool. I just, I loved it. So then when my boys were growing up, I would take them to the WWF. And of course we had to watch all of that with them and yeah. then it transferred over. But nice. talking about people that you admire, I see Neil Gaiman on there. So yes. the graveyard book really influenced me when I was writing my easy reader. I have an easy reader, ghoul school kind of picture book uh, right before Goosebumps. But there, I love the Graveyard book, and that was yeah. a really good book for me to have to uh, digest right before going into to writing children's lit with horror. Um, yeah. Tell me what you love about Neil Gaiman. 
Neil Gaiman was the first author whose works I read that made me go, oh, there's something more than the books they assign you in middle school and high school. You know, I know you work in education, so, you know, it's, it's hey. not on you. It's the, the curriculum, but, you know, I'm with the, you. It, it, it was like watching a David Lynch movie for the first time. You're like, oh, there's something besides what everyone kind of puts out there. Um, I first found the Sandman graphic novels and American Gods kind of simultaneously. And I was a big comic book nerd, so Sandman probably came first. I can't really remember at this point, but it was just like, oh, there's so much more. It was its own internal mythology, and I really loved that. And and then I found American Gods, and that book just changed my entire worldview on writing because I was like, you can do you don't have your book doesn't have to be one thing. Your writing doesn't have to be one thing. Oh, me. Um, it can be Americana, horror, mythology, science fiction, fantasy, realism. It can be all of those different things. And and it can just be inherently your work. Um, I've devoured pretty much everything he's put out. Like my my shelf of influences is kind of behind me here. Kind of we've got Neil and then William Gibson and then Michael Shaben and and all that kind of stuff. But it his work just the every book of his is its own little self-contained universe and it feels both real and inherently not real. And and that feeling is just something I love. I love how you just described that. That was a perfect description of Thank his you. work. Yes. And so also, he did a he did a masterclass through the masterclass app. Um, I took it. I think it was either I had I had daybreak mostly written. I was in revisions. But any aspiring writer, anybody in the midst of writing, even anybody who's done a lot, but you know, his masterclass is the best money you can spend. It is. It will help you no matter what you write. It cannot stress it enough. So he's influenced you in your writing, but yes. also like what age were you when it dawned on you? Like, Oh, this is a career path for me. This is what I want for my life. I was in the 10th grade. So I was 15, <sighs> 16, somewhere in that ballpark. I think it was 15 about to, I was 14 turning 15. I had a teacher who could tell I was a, a big reader and, you know, I would always be just writing kind of after class and she asked to see some of my writing and I was kind of, mm -hmm. and then she offered me extra credit and I'm not an idiot. So I said, yes. And she, <laughs> she, she kind of, she, she kind of uh, just kind of poked me and prodded me throughout most of that year um, and made me realize that there are people who get paid to make up stories and write them down. And she thought I should can continue pursuing that. And, and I was like, well, what do you mean continue pursuing that? She's like, well, what do you think you're doing? You're making up stories and writing them down. You're going to do something with them, right? And I was like, oh yeah, I guess I, I guess I was planning on doing something someday. So, so yeah, um, Miss Letty, 10th grade English. I uh, love it. So yeah. today in my ninth grade English class, I am encouraging my students. One of my boys is taking creative writing. And then I have to give them a set of an ABCD multiple choice on what Tybalt is wearing during the fight. They have to write a narrative. Mm -hmm. So they're having to integrate themes. And he's got another paper that he's doing in creative writing. And he's like, oh, hers is a million pages. 
I'm doing yours. Yours is good. I got yours. I said, I can't wait to read it. Can't wait. I know. I know that students are so, so talented, but it's oftentimes hard to see like somebody's like name on the front of a book and understand, wait, that could be me. You feel like you're so separated from that. Yeah. So I'm so glad that your teacher was a bridge to you. Yeah to yeah. that world so that's the power of education guys that's the power of teachers right here i gotta do a shout out to your teacher absolutely um hopefully you can find her and send her once the shipping and everything comes send her yeah. that copy of that book sign and say look what you made me do <laughs> we're facebook friends she already i've already yes. talked to her she uh she, she she knows one's coming eventually yes that's awesome so so 10th grade here yeah. you are writing stories do you have any of those old stories do you have anything from the past uh yeah i'm looking off to my left there's a giant bin of just notebooks from throughout my life and i'm sure there are some horrors in there that uh, <laughs> i could dig out if i had to but um they're buried under a lot of crap we're up in my uh attic slash library slash man cave slash probably going to turn into an office one day, um, <laughs> but it's kind of a catch all right now. So besides the bookshelf, there's not a lot of organization here. Yeah. Uh, look, yeah, you can see what Nicodemus is going to love that tote with all of your journals and writing. Okay. He's going to love that one day. And it's to, just to see from where you started yeah. to now, like if you look back, like what's been one of your biggest challenges throughout um, I think figuring out, I had to figure out for myself that there was no one forcing me to be in a certain medium or a certain genre or, uh, I got real hung up for a long time on finding my voice, my spot, my, you know, I thought I was going to write screenplays and then it turned out. I'm a control freak and I wouldn't be very good at making movies because I would just want to be a writer, director, dictator, and nobody really <laughs> wants to work with someone like that if you've never made anything. Um, so it, it, it was really more just letting go of the idea that you have to do this a certain way or you have to do this at all and just doing it. And, and it was really a gradual process for me. It wasn't necessarily an aha moment. It was more just trying to write different ideas and eventually you finish one <laughs> and That's and 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 starting to write for massive report was actually really big for that because for the first time in my life i had a an audience b deadlines and c editors so you know it went from writing things for myself that maybe i'll show to my friends you know or girls i was trying to impress um, <laughs> to I'm writing things for the leading publicate for the leading website for my soccer team that lots of people care about and this could actually be something and it was great but I also struggled a lot with well what am I covering am I am I covering the team am I covering the fans am I you know so it was kind of one big process of having to let go of the idea of this is the thing I do and just doing the things. So just letting go of all of that control and just 
Oh no, still a control freak. Don't don't uh, oh, don't, don't. I was thinking you just jumping in a roller coaster and just hands up going. Oh no, 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 no. Well, I mean sometimes still, hands up, but um but no, still a total control freak. No, it was just more <laughs> not what not I felt like I had to know be able to tell people exactly what I was doing, exactly what the title was, exactly what box I was in. Oh. Even though I wanted to be in a zillion different boxes, and that was part of the problem. So instead of trying to figure out a box big enough to fit all those zillion boxes, I just kind of do it and let people put it in a box now. You know, love so. that, love that. So, what's your favorite show? Let's talk about shows because did you use On right shows now or all time? So, did you use any shows as research? Did you? Oh, Twin Peaks was a huge influence. Um, Twin Peaks was another one of those things it was like oh tv doesn't have to be a certain way and twin peaks definitely played a big part in the kind of small town vibe i, I was going for in daybreak um the kind of backwoodsy weirdness vibe um daybreak it's the the book murder at daybreak is not necessarily lynchian in its motifs or themes or style but it exists in a post lynch universe so to speak um so that one was a big influence. And there was a uh, there was a show that most people didn't see, won't remember, that probably planted the genesis of the actual idea for Murder at Daybreak in my head. It was called Murder in Small Town X. It was one season, one season in 2001 on Fox. It was a reality show where they basically dropped these 10 or however many people into a stage town in the, it was either the Pacific, no, it wasn't Pacific Northwest. It was like up in Maine. Um, and it was like one of those murder mystery parties where everyone's playing a part, but it's a whole town. And they had to solve this, this murder. And it was in 2001. And I remember very clearly because the last episode aired the week before September 11th. And the guy who won the show died in September 11th. He was a firefighter in the Bronx. So I remember the timeline very clearly and that image of the outsiders trying to solve this small town crime. I, I think that's where I was first exposed to that kind of seed of the idea. So that I think it's on, it's on YouTube now. Um, don't go watch it. Cause then you'll realize I probably just ripped a lot of it off. <laughs> but, um, but to, you know, I wouldn't even have been uh, 13 yet. I would have been 12 watching that um, really put that kind of image in my head um, of the, the small town with secrets. Cause I hadn't seen Twin Peaks at that time. So that was the first small town secrets, people trying to find the answers, you know, um, that was, that was kind of the, the first time I was exposed to that. And so research can come in many different forms. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to just be pilfering through old library articles that you can yeah. find on a microfiche like you can right. see in the movie sometimes yeah, but it yeah. could just come from movies or shows i yeah. just had to ask you because you said that you love true crime yes. shows and, and things yeah. like that and you said you listen to podcasts too yes um yeah i didn't do like the actual story of murder at daybreak the the crime at the heart of it is not based on any real crime i wouldn't feel comfortable doing that like that that's bordering on exploitation for me. You know, if you're writing a factual true crime book on an actual crime, that's yeah. one thing. But if yeah. you're using somebody else's suffering to base your own fictional idea, that's over my personal line. Not everybody has to agree with that. That's fine. But um, as far as like research for that kind of function of it, I didn't really do a lot because 
it was more about the story and the 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 setting and and the kind of feel of it. I I tried to approach, you know, as far as research, it was more just taking the the presentation and the style of of like we were talking about the online true crime journalism and, and the podcasts and stuff. And it wasn't like active research, like I gotta read this and listen to this to make sure I'm getting this right. It was more those were the things that were already kind of in my in my universe anyway, and just kind of letting those kind of marinate until I found the right window to try to present it through. Awesome. Love it. So I know you've got murder at daybreak.com. You've yes. got your website set up. You're on Twitter. Where do you live the most online? Where can people reach out to you and follow Twitter. what's up with you? Twitter. That's your Twitter. place. Twitter, like you were saying earlier, is where productivity goes to die for me. <laughs> um, it, it's real bad. Um, I hate, I, I have an iPhone and I hate that they give you your screen time at the end of every week. Like every Sunday morning, it says you were online for an average of one hour, 17 minutes on your phone this week. And, you know, for a while there, it was just kind of trending up, 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 up. And, and, and then I, then I beat the system because I just started doing it on my laptop instead. <laughs> can't get it that way. But um, yeah, Twitter, I'm probably on Twitter the most. And that's because uh, Twitter is where a lot of the soccer content is where a lot of the soccer interaction is so i started there and it just kind of naturally progressed to what i'm doing now and so out of all of your six projects that you named earlier that i'm still going to say do you have any little sneak peek for us like what could we look forward into in the future for you like all right let's do the rundown here i've got an idea that's kind of a internet mystery based thriller kind of in the vein of William Gibson's later work um, about a religion that springs up during the pandemic that is based entirely online. Um, yes, that's I've got a uh, magical realism meets Bruce Springsteen style Americana kind of dusty roads, not the wrestler, but like actual roads, dusty oh. roads and diners and, and Camaros and, um, kind of a, a weird sort of ghost story, magical realism, Americana rock um, hybrid. I've got what I think is probably going to end up being like a, what you can probably tell me this because I am not very good. If, if I'm not in it, I don't really know it as far as like people talk about, this is my genre and they, they're using all these acronyms on Twitter. Not young adult, like a little more than young adult, but not full adult. Is that middle grade? New, or? So you got middle grade. Yes, that's your, just think about when you're in middle school. So think about that. A little of, older than that. New adult so is new adult. New today? adult is 18 right. and up. 18 we're we're going to call it new adult, but it's kind of a high school noir. So kind of a, kind of like Riverdale meets uh, kind of the Raymond Chandler kind of classic pulp detective stories. I got got quite a bit of that. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of the movie Brick. It came out in the early 2000s, but- uh, No, but I'm writing things down, you say. I already have a couple of things down, you oh, say. Goodness. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's a high school noir story about this bookish kid who uh, solves problems for people and uh, gets dragged into something much bigger than him. Um, Love so it all. Love it all. Chris, yeah, it all sounds- <laughs> those are the most the most likely to be written next, but because I just said those in a public forum, I'm never going to finish any of them, and you'll get something totally different. Well, you know what? It'll be what it's meant to be. That's how I look at it. Cheers to that. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so Murder at Daybreak was meant to be because it's already out. It's in the world. 
Guys, you've got to go get it. I've got the links in the description. Make sure that you check out uh, Chris. Follow him so you can stay up to what is going to happen next, whether it's soccer, whether it's family, whether it's all about his next writing project. So, so there Chris, are cute have, baby pictures now. Yes. It's, it's much more interesting for the last year or so because there are cute baby pictures every once in a while. So oh. you love cute kids. Everybody loves cute kids. Yes. So, all right. So, Chris, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. So, thank you so much words. for having me. Yes. All right. See you later. Now that you found me on the Jen Lowry Writes podcast, I challenge you to head over to where books are sold and find me there. I've published 11 books so far, and I write clean books for all ages. Horror, paranormal, sweet romance, fantasy, historical fiction, you name it, I've got your genre. Search Jen Lowry at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Kobo, and more. And for my Bible devotionals, you'll see my full name, Dr. Jennifer Eichner Lowry on Amazon. So I challenge you today to go out there and write something inspiring and share it with the world. Thanks for joining me on Jen Lowry Writes. You guys have a blessed day.